Good. Job chapter 7, in the middle of your Bible, it's Psalms. Go to the left from there and get to Job chapter 7 in verse 11. And if you would, stand with me, please. Job chapter 7. It's a bit of a buzz. I don't know if that's bad or good or what. <clears throat> Is it only on the speaker or it's not on the recording, right? Okay, good. Job chapter 7, as we stand in verse 11... All right, let's read together just verse 11. Therefore, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. You know who's talking? Job. Let's pray. Lord, I think most of us thought that when we got saved, we would never have a time where we would be full of anguish complaining and being bitter. But you're showing us, Lord, it's in us. And it is the devil's job to bring us that place where we crumble and we forget the Spirit of Christ. We forget all of your blessings. And it's hard to remember them when we don't see them in our lives for a while. So God, I pray that as we sort of sit with Job, we realize he's in a classroom learning some hard things, but it's not just for him, it's for us. And the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning as well, that we would have comfort, have hope and comfort of the scriptures. So please encourage somebody tonight, whoever this message is for, I pray it will be for everybody. And we take something away in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I think that's going to bother the fire out of us, that, that thing. I can be loud enough if you want to just turn it off. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> okay. Uh, this is not simple stuff we're going through. We're, we're, we're exploring the human heart and suffering. And when you talk about human emotions like suffering, you're dealing with deep things. But God gives us a glimpse on how to walk through it. You can't run through it. Sometimes you may only crawl through it. But Job is an example of how to get through it. Sometimes you have to just sit there. Sometimes you're going to say things you're going to regret. Sometimes you're going to have feelings that you just, you don't know how to deal with. Okay. But even more amazingly, the reason why I have enjoyed the book of Job is because you're getting a glimpse of what God is like. Now, I found that most, mm, I don't know, I could put a percentage on there, but let me just say most of modern Christians have a very narrow, shallow, and only a surface understanding of who God is. What does that mean? That means they have a, a list of things they expect of God, but those things, most of them aren't even in the Bible. They just expect God would never uh, allow them to go through a battle that they couldn't handle. You know what? Most battles that, that the devil is allowed to throw at you, you can't handle. Now, God will always be there, but you'll feel like dying. So a lot of times we have all kinds of wrong ideas of what the Christian life is and what God is like, why He would allow us. I've had people tell me, God would never allow me to be deceived. Really? Uh, God would never, um, uh, you know, step back and allow me to do a, a, a sin like I used to do. But you, you, we have all of these ideas and, and the theology of what we expect God is like, that is not like reality. So that's why the book of Job is there. Uh, because suffering does come into our life. 
And you'll either die believing the wrong things, or you'll end up more like gold. Because Paul, sorry, Job said, when he hath finished trying me, I know I shall come forth as gold. So it's very important for us to, to learn from Job. Job here is, by the time we're only into chapter 6, in chapter 7, and Job is tired of living, and he's being honest. You hear that? I will not refrain my mouth. I'm not going to shut up, he says. I'm going to speak in the anguish of my spirit, and I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. That's how Job feels. He's tired of being falsely accused of being responsible for everything happening to him. Now, whether you believe it or not, most Christians believe in karma. What do you think karma is? What goes around comes around, okay? Okay, sarah, sarah. What else? You get out what you put in, or you're, now the Bible says you reap what you sow. These things, but we really are very fatalistic. We think, we think if somebody's going through suffering like that, then they probably deserve it. We think that because somebody is, is, has lost their job, well, they, you, you, you probably should have lost your job, or any number of things. And that's not always true. So Job is being blamed for the loss of his children, the loss of his health, the loss of his, his uh, lands and his wealth. He's being blamed. And you know how long you can take blame? Especially when you're not, it's just, it'll kill you in the end. And so he just, at this point, he's begging God, leave me alone, will you? Now he tried asking his friends to leave him alone, and will they leave him alone? No. <laughs> Friends stick with you, don't they? <laughs> so he says, God, would you just pull back? Go to Job chapter 19. Job 19 and verse 21. <clears throat> 19, 21. He's again, I think he's going to repeat this a couple of times, but he says this to his friends. Job 19, 21. Have pity upon me. Have pity upon me. Oh, ye, my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Now, you think he's saying it in a good way? No. I heard a message one time, don't pray for God to touch you. <laughs> oh, I just want the touch of God. That's a dangerous thing to pray. Because Job got it, and it nearly killed him. So he's saying, God has his hand against me, like God's pushing down, and it feels like he's going to kill me, and I just wish... He would leave me alone. So, verse 11. Let's go back to Job chapter 7. Read verse 11 down to 16. <clears throat> he starts off and he says, Therefore I will not refrain my mouth. What does that mean? I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to, to refrain means to, to limit. I'm not going to shut up. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. What's anguish mean? Hmm? Despair, okay. Agony, I like agony better. He, in his deepest soul, is just feeling agony. Uh, he goes on and he says, I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Don't ever tell me that you've never been there. And where you just wanted just to give out. You just wanted to complain. You just wanted to just, and nobody was going to shut you up. That's, you just tasted a little bit about what Job felt. Verse 12, 
Am I a sea, like, like an ocean, or a whale, that thou settest a watch over me? When I say, my bed shall comfort me, my couch shall cease, ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams. You give me nightmares, and you terrifiest me through visions, so that my soul chooses what? He would rather what to happen to him? Just strangle me, God, get it over with. And death, I, my soul chooses death rather than my life. And 16, I loathe it. What does he loathe? His life. I loathe it. I would not live always. He's actually saying, I don't want to live forever. Not this way. So what does he say to God? Three words. Let me alone for my days are empty, my days are vanity, my days are just stupid. All right, so Job, can you agree, is totally bitter towards God. Would you agree with that? I want you to notice in verse 11, therefore I will not refrain my, what's that word? Okay, so I went right next to the word mouth, think the flesh, the body, all right? I will speak in the anguish of my Spirit, second part. And I will complain in the bitterness of my, what's the third part? Tripart being. But I want you to see, he's saying, every part of me is bitter. My flesh is bitter, my spirit is bitter, and my soul is bitter. He's having a bad day, all right? Um, every part of him is upset and bitter towards God. Don't ever say that you'll never get to that place. I pray I never do. I, I've felt little bits of like Job felt, and it's kind of comforting to know somebody else has been through that and that they get through it. But he says, why are you watching me, God? Why do you set a watch over me? It's like God is there going like this. And just watching him. And he says two things. Now, I don't know. Yesterday, was it yesterday? No. Saturday, did we go Friday? We went to Dingle. Friday, this is Dingle, folks. Is that beautiful? I mean, we sat there and I was going to bring the rolling waves, but the computer can't show a video very well. So you don't want to move. You want to watch that. The sea coming in is beautiful. He said, am I the ocean? You just want to sit and watch me? Or maybe... Are you, is it like, I mean, people pay big money to go whale watching. Go and watch whales and the majestic and the power of the whale in the ocean. He said, is that what you think of me? Is you, am I just something to watch? Why are you watching me, God? As if to say, am I that fascinating? Have you ever wished that God would just focus on somebody else for a while and leave you alone? Job did not know why God was focused on him at all. Job was just a normal Joseph guy. Just He was successful in business, yes. He had a, a great family, yes. He, he had great health. We don't know how old he was, but he's got 10 children. He's, his, the 10 children have grown up. He's, he's got a, a fantastic wife at that point. Everything is just going honky-dory, and then everything falls apart. And he says, God, why am I... Why am I so interesting that you put so much on me? 
But Job did not know that it wasn't just God watching. Who else was watching him? Satan. And there's one other group watching him. We are. Sometimes when you're going through a trial, Rodell, other people are watching you. That little girl's going to watch you like a hawk. And you'll all of a sudden, you know, you'll get upset at the job or you'll get upset at, at a tax bill or something. And there's somebody watching you, how you react. Everybody with me? All right. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Hold your place here. Luke chapter 6. And it happens several times, but I'll just show you one or two. Luke chapter 6, verse 7, that the devil loves to watch Christians because he's looking for an opportunity to make you fall. Look at Luke chapter 6 and verse 7. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, Jesus. Whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, why were they watching him? Was he that interesting? No, watch it that they might find an accusation against him. They could find a fault. They could find a hiccup. And the devil loves to just watch. And believe me, he didn't have to watch this very long for us to hiccup. Amen? But throughout Jesus' life, the Pharisees were right there. <laughs> Waiting. He couldn't say. You, you, you watch politics and you watch Something that someone did 30 years ago comes up and they want to destroy a man's life or a woman's life and they just watch and they try to destroy. That's the devil towards you. You think you're immune to it. You think you're not a part of it. The devil is watching us. He then says, you scare me in my dreams and in my thoughts. You ruin my rest with nightmares. So Job is terrified of just closing his eyes. He says, I used to go lay down on the couch and just catch a few winks. I just have a power nap. But as soon as I close my eyes, I'm in terror. I am afraid I become, um, uh, I become afraid of trying to sleep. So here's a man who's battling bitterness, false accusations, deep sorrow, and he can't sleep. Is that a a recipe for success or defeat. You know what scientists have determined? The most important activity of your life is sleep. Not that you should sleep 10 or 12 hours, but if you do not get sleep, you will burn yourself out. You will never be good for anybody if you don't get enough rest. And so if there's anything you gotta learn, Job is burning out, he can't even sleep. Now what causes nightmares? You ever think about that? I'll give you a couple of thoughts. If you wonder why you have nightmares, continuous sorrow will give you nightmares. Continuous fears. You, things are going to scare you. Uh, but continuous fears, continuous loss. I mean, you go from, you, you start losing, you know, not just your job, but the car won't start. It has to be, re, uh, transmission has to be replaced. Um, uh, you get kicked out of your house. Your, your wife won't talk to you. The cat won't come into the room with you. Everything is... After a while, you try to sleep, and all that stuff just piles on, and your brain doesn't know what to do with it except go over and over all of it. It becomes a nightmare. Stress. All those things feed into our dreams. Most of the time, dreams are made of things we put into our hearts and minds. Most of the time, dreams are what we put already into our hearts and minds. So make sure you put in good things. 
That's why the last thing you should do before you go to bed, if you do have trouble going to sleep, is put the Word of God in there. Proverbs was written so that you could have something deep for your brain to try and process and have a dream about. If you like watching horror movies, I pity you. Because you're going to look at going, <laughs> was that real? Your choice. Third, fourth, he says, I hate my life. Verse 15, my soul chooses strangling. I haven't chosen strangling yet. But he says, I wish I could be strangled. I choose death rather than my life. Now, normally people don't hate their life. Did you ever notice that? Normally. I have found this, that women usually hate themselves more than guys do. Ladies, is that true or not? My goodness, man. But today, I find men rapidly catching up and hating who they are. They don't even know who they are. They can't identify themselves by gender. They can't even figure out how to be human. It's really a wicked, sad day and it begins at home, and it begins in school, and it begins with, there is no Bible anywhere. And so what do you expect? Men, stop being men. And when you can't be who you are, I mean, they talk about the queers. You need to be allowed to be who you are. They don't know what they are. How can they be who they are? What a joke. I hate my life. Men are, are defiled like never before. Ten-year-olds have enough sin on their phone that 25-year-olds didn't have 10 years ago. So they have dark feelings about themselves. Kids are cutting themselves. People are, are when, when, they, when they do things, they have no feeling at all. They just, they're, they're pushing the limit towards death. When I, was a, when I was a young teenager, I gravitated towards the music that emphasized death. I don't even want to mention the names of the groups, but all the music was demonic and all the music was death. And that's what the rock music culture was. And then the rock music changed. And the rock music became all, I don't know, it was all universal. It, it was all fun, but it was still rock music. And I never knew anybody that committed suicide listening to the music we did. We all had a good laugh. I mean, it scared us to death. But the modern music, confuses and damns men, and it destroys young ladies. I just, I just hate rock music. He says, I don't want to live anymore. Verse 16, he says, I loathe my life. You know what loathing means? Loathing means to hate it, to abhor, to be disgusted at his own life. I just don't want to live anymore. Did you know even the strongest kind of Christian can get to this point? Anybody name somebody in the Bible that went to the point, besides Job, where they said, just kill me, God, just kill me now. Who said that? There's several of them. Hmm? Elijah? Jonah? Hmm? Jeremiah had that feeling twice? Go to Numbers 14. Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14 and verse 2. Was, 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 was Elijah a wimp? Was he spiritually immature? And yet he said, just kill me, God. 
Numbers chapter 14 and verse 2. And how many of the children of Israel? Numbers 14, 2. And all. So don't put yourself and say, well, I would never want to die. I would never ask God to kill me. Just kill me. No, it says, and all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, complained, and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would God that we had what? We wish we had died back in Egypt. Or would God that we had died in this wilderness. What do they want to do? Just wish they could die. So, be careful. Because you and I could easily find ourselves feeling the very same way. And who wants you dead? Go to John chapter 8. Hold your place here in Job. John chapter 8, verse 44. Who's the only one that would ever put that thought in your head? You didn't think of wanting to die. Who gives you that thought of wanting to die if you're saved? John chapter 8 and verse 44. He's speaking to the Pharisees, but it matches anybody who's unsaved. But I want you to understand this. He says, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust. Look at that word. The intense desires of your father is what you will do. He was a what? From the very beginning, he was a murderer. And by the way, he still is. And he abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So whenever you get to the place where you just want to die, somebody's lying to you, and somebody wants you to believe that you should die. You say, well, Christians would never want to commit suicide. You're not reading your Bible, because I just showed you the scriptures. And it's not just suicide. Just the thoughts of wanting to die. It's just not the way to talk, folks. You see, look, Job is already off the rails here, and I'm not sitting in judgment of him because if I were in his shoes, I'd already be dead. I don't have nearly the maturity or the strength that Job had, the resilience. But Job here is not right because the truth is nobody should feel like I just want God to kill me. Is that how a Christian, I'm talking about a Bible believer, is should any one of us say, God, just kill me? Is that what anybody should feel? No. If you do feel this way, you need to fear. You see, in Christianity, we sort of have this idea, we don't talk about suicide. We don't talk about people who have a, a, such a, a loathing of themselves that they wish they could die. We, because we get this impression that Christians don't feel that way. Job did. The devil wants you to feel like you're nothing, like you're worthless, like you ought to die, like you're a failure. There are too many pastors and preachers that are committing suicide today. In the last month, there were three that I know of. One of them was a big-name guy. I'm not impressed with him. He's part of a mega church. But this guy had it all. This man is he, and, and it just rocked the, the, the Christian world. He was a mega assistant pastor of a mega church over in California. Uh, and his wife found him dead of suicide. Never is told how he died, but he wrote a suicide note and took his own life. A pastor did. If a pastor wants to die bad enough and kills himself, don't think you're above it too. And say, 
I'll never get that place. Don't be so sure. Now, I pray you don't. Uh, John 10, 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal. What, is, what does the devil want to do with your life? Rob you? To kill? The devil can't kill me. You're a fool. The thief cometh not, but for, can he rob you? Yes or no? He sure can. He can rob you of everything except your salvation. Can he kill you? If God, if you are living, doing your own thing, living your own way, God can step back and say, have at him. Because uh, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking who he may, not nibble, not laugh at, but devour. And he devoured that young man there. Um, this is why we have to um, learn to cast all, all our care. Go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. I know you know this verse, but I want you now to put a, a concept on this. What do you think care means? Eric, what do you think it says? Casting all your care on him. What does care mean? All your concerns, okay? But we're only scratching the surface. What else could it mean? Burdens? What is a burden? Good. Now, your fears. All right, let me put this on there. Let's read it. I want to just add a little bit to it here. First Peter, add some, some concepts so it's got some meat on it. Because most time we love memorizing the Bible, but we don't know what it's saying. First Peter 5, 7, 8, and 9 are our verses. Casting all your care upon him, for he accepts it. He'll take your cares. He careth for you. Then the very next verse warns us if we don't cast our care on him, guess who's out there ready to pounce? Satan, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. So what is the doorway for the devil to start to get at you and finally ultimately bring you down? Not the fact that you have cares, but that you hold on to them, and you don't give them away, and you don't put them up there in his hands, and you don't say, Lord, I can't handle this. God, I'm, I'm letting this thing get to me. God, this is causing me to panic. This is causing me to give up. This is causing me to want to die. I got to ca cast is a great word. Somebody tell me what casting means. Hmm? Eric. Hmm? Okay. All right, I like that because you're putting the distance, all right? Um, but when we understand casting, it's, it's throwing it as far as you can. That's what casting means. And when you have a burden, and when you've got a fear, or let's go down, you're getting bitter, you're starting to complain, you're starting to want to quit, you're starting to want to give up, you're starting to just wish you could die, you need to throw that feeling, not away, it always has a way of finding you again, throwing it into his hands, because he cares for you. He says, I'll take that. I'll take that. So learn to cast all your care, including your bitterness, on the Lord. Secondly, resist satanic thoughts. Look there in verse 9. Whom resist? Who are we supposed to resist? Satan. Resist steadfast in our faith and what we believe is true, knowing that the same, what's the next word? 
All right, so are you the only one going under that kind of stress and pressure and wanting to die? No, the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are all over the world. So it's not an easy thing to do to resist a satanic attack, but what does the Bible say you can do? You can resist satanic attack. Amen? Thirdly, minister to each other. Why did God have Job do this and go through this? So when you go through a deep valley, you're like the darkest time of your life. Go to the God of all comfort who's going to enable you to comfort someone else one day. And if you could, when you are under that stress, if you could step forward and just be a blessing to someone else, somehow the Holy Spirit lifts that darkness when you try to bless someone else. Make sure you minister to others, and make sure you minister to the people you think are not having troubles, like your pastor, like your pastor's wife, like the people who seem like stalwarts and are pillars in the church. Minister to them. Pray for them. Come alongside and say, I love you. You're the best, whatever they are, best teacher. I mean, I think Eric probably would live two weeks on somebody, one of the kids coming up, taking them by the leg and going, you're the best teacher that would make your day, wouldn't it? Or your week, what'd you say? Amen, amen. But wouldn't that bless you? Especially if you're just wanting to just quit and everything, and some kid just takes you and says, you're the best. He says, I can't quit. I can't quit. Amen. Ministers serve one another. You say, I don't think anybody has needs. You have no idea. And when you just minister to others, you'll end up helping those who need it. All right. He asked the questions, uh, Job, is this practical? Does this do anybody any good? Or am I going over the heads of everybody? Is this just, okay. Job says there in verse 17 and 18 and 19, he says, what is man anyway? So he says, verse 17, what is man? That thou shouldest magnify him. Why do you make him any good at all? And that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him. Why do you care about us? Verse 18. And that thou shouldest visit him every morning and try him every moment. Does he feel like he's being watched all the time? Like he's being put to the test all the time? Yes. Verse um, 18, uh, verse, 19, verse 19, am I going to, yeah, 19. How long wilt thou not depart from me? Let, now let me alone, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spittle. I think it's one of the cutest ways he's saying, it's like you're watching me. I, I, would you just let me just swallow my spit in private, please? How, how low does he feel? What is man? So he asks the question, he says, why do you even bother with man? Aren't we just dust? Aren't we just a primate, an animal, a plaything, a bother? Why would such an infinite God have anything to do with dust balls like us? That's what Richard Dawkins says. Richard Dawkins says we're just cosmic dust on a pale blue dot on the backside of a galaxy in the midst of billions of other galaxies. We're nothing. And that's how Job feels. You know, when times are good, we believe that we're good. We think we're important. Boy, I mean, I've used this illustration a dozen times before, and I'll say it again. Uh, let's see, Paul goes to the letterbox, and he gets a letter and opens it up, and it's a, it's a distant relative who, less, who just left him 10 million euros. 
You know what Job, you know, Job, you know what Paul would say? God, you sure just blessed me. <laughs> and he did. But we make the mistake of saying, I must be worthy of it now. I must be something special. Because we feel the opposite. When everything falls out, we go, I must be nothing. I must be awful. I must be no, why do you even look at me, God? There's nothing here. Do you see how Job feels? Now, if he won the lottery all of a sudden the next day, he'd be back up again. We Christians are very yo-yo-ish. Does that make no sense? Is that, that's not a good word. But doctrinally, it's perfect. We go up and down based on our experience instead of God. What is God like? He is constant. His words are true. They never dim. His promises are steady. And our life may go up and down, and Job feels like, why are you even bothering them with man? Why do you test us so much? I think it's a great question. When I was in school, I mean, let me ask how the old guys, Dan, Dan, you and I will just have a good fire chat, a good chat here for a moment. When you were in school, did you have tests all the time in school? Yes. I mean, you went to class and the teacher said, take out a piece of paper, it's a pop quiz. And we all went, <gasps> and it was like, stab me in the eyes, man, I just want to die. We had tests all the time. This generation, they're terrified of testing them. Kids don't want to be tested. Oh, it just, it hurts my feelings. Anyway. But tests are a way to push growth. I like going through the gap of Dunlow. There's a tree. When you get into the gap of Dunlow, there's a tree up on the right, about two-thirds of the way up the ascension there. And years ago, when we went there for men's camp, we always climbed up to that tree and then walked along the thing. But that tree was always an interesting tree to me because I wish I could draw it for you. The tree was not a straight-up tree like this. The tree was like this because the, 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 the weather always came this direction down the, um, uh, the gap of Dunlow, and that tree, to stay standing, had to lean into the wind and had to become strong in a direction so it would not be uprooted. And when you don't have any wind, your roots are never deep. And so tests actually make you stronger. Trials, troubles, anguish, sorrows are for you to lean into them, not to crumble. So why do you test us so much? That is such a good question. Because the truth is, let me write it, let me tell you that. Fire forges great metals. Only fire does. You can't make strong steel without hot fire. A furnace, that's called a forge, and God sometimes puts you into a forge. Sometimes if you're pottery, you gotta understand it goes into a fire called a kiln, and that makes it so it's strong and not brittle. So Job is asking, why are you testing so much? And God, I'm sure God wanted to answer and just say, cause I'm making you stronger. He says, why don't you just let me alone? We've already heard that over and over and over. I wondered this, what if God did answer that prayer? That would terrify me. You know, the worst, the worst life to live is without God. And the worst thing for any human being on this planet is to try to live without God and to try to just be independent of God and to think I don't need God because man is his worst when he's left to himself. So Job is saying, just leave me alone, not knowing what he's saying. 
And I like it. Look, look at verse 20. This is, this is cute. Uh, did I read verse 9? I don't think I did. Let me read verse 19. How long wilt thou not depart from me, let, nor let me alone, till I swallow down my spell? I didn't read that. Verse 20. I have sinned. All right, now, do you think he's actually agreeing? Watch it. What shall I, what, what shall I do unto thee? Back to God. O thou preserver of men, why hast thou set me as a mark against thee so that I am a burden to myself? I just, I can't even get up in the morning. I'm a burden to myself. But I want you to notice, why have you set that mark against me? You know what he feels like? Feels like that. He gets up in the morning and he says, okay, God, fire away. <laughs> he says, why, why am I a target for you? And it's how he feels. Now, how you feel, is that always true? Come on, ladies. No. God does target the wicked, doesn't he? You know, you go, you, if you're saved, let's just deal with a Christian. If you're saved, God will go after you, will he not? If you go away from God, the best thing that ever happened to your life is when God chastens, because whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So you walk away from God, and you start living in the world, God will get you. It's one of the greatest proofs that you're saved is that you can't get away with sin like you used to. But let me say this, God does target the wicked, and he goes after them, and he will destroy them, Psalm says, over and over and over. But don't you think for a moment that God looks at you like, oh, I just want to have some target practice on Eric today. God's not that kind of God, thankfully. The truth, according to God, is this, tests are good for us. Secondly, we are worth everything to God. Did you know that we are the greatest of all creation? There are, you look, I, I, I love astronomy. You look in a microscope and you see life everywhere. You see design everywhere. But the greatest thing that God ever made was you. He waited and, and he made, you know why God made Eve last, don't you? Because when God made Adam, she would have tried to correct him and make it, make it better. Anyway, <clears throat> Uh, if he was first. Mankind is the greatest of all God's creation, so don't get the idea that God just wants to shoot you down. God just wants to ruin you. It's not God's desire. As a matter of fact, uh, we are the greatest of all creation. We are a little lower than the angels. Now, angels are pretty cool. Amen? Angels are pretty cool. We're just a little below them, the Bible says. We don't have time to look at it. Yes, we're broken and messed up because of sin. Yes, we are frail, we are subject to vanity, but that's okay with God. It's okay that you're fragile, that you crumble and break under pressure. It's okay, because we're worth more than the world to Him. That ought to blow you away. So when you get the idea God is just really trying to ruin your life, you've got to remember, He's not trying to ruin anything. He, like a father, is working out good things in your life, trying to transform you into the image of His Son. Fourthly, we're designed to live forever with God. Did you know you were made with the image of God so that you could spend time with God, not only here and now, but forever? Don't get the idea that God's against me. Well, maybe he is for a little bit. Maybe things are just going bad because you backslid, or maybe the devil's the one that's against It doesn't matter, but always remember, God has loved us with an everlasting love. He will never leave us or forsake us. The promises of God are true and never changing. You're designed to live forever with God. You will always be fought over by Satan. What does Ephesians 6.12 say? Bill!
against flesh and blood. Okay, I know what, don't know what Bible you're reading, but that's pretty close. Anyway, <laughs> he's just trying to remember. But you got the truth. You got the point. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood people and problems here. Our war is with a spiritual dimension that aims to destroy us, that aims to control us, that aims to, to defeat us and to get us to want to die. And you got to realize, according to God, now Job didn't understand that the devil was the one that was tearing at him. But according to God... Satan is fighting over him. I guess if Satan is trying to destroy me that much, I must be a threat. If I keep my life right, if I live for God, I might do him some damage. Amen? And does Job do the devil damage? He sure does. This is one of the greatest victories in the Old Testament, this life. By the time you get to chapter 40, it is breathtaking how... Job defeats every plan that the devil had to ruin him. But we'll talk about that as we get closer. And we're the only reason why there's a universe at all. The only reason why there's an Andromeda galaxy, why there are nebulas and stars and black holes, and why there are planets, and, and why there's any of that, is because of us. God made it for us. So next time you're feeling like Job, just go outside and look at that beautiful starry sky and go, all right, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. It hurts, but I'll trust that you love me. Now, real quick, verse 20 and 21, he says, I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of men? Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee, so that I am a burden to myself? And why dost thou not pardon my transgression and take away mine iniquity? For now shall I sleep in the dust. Again, he wants to die. And thou shalt seek me in the morning, but gladly I shall not be. He's trying to be happy. <laughs> so he gives up here. He reluctantly agrees with God, and he says, You win, God, I'm, I'm, I have sinned. He didn't believe it. Because as far as Job is concerned, he has done nothing wrong. And he hasn't. He's just verbally agreeing. Did you ever, did you ever get your kids to argue? You know, when they're arguing, it says, Now say you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now tell him you're sorry, you did wrong. I didn't do wrong. <laughs> and sometimes you feel forced to say, Lauren, I'm sorry. But he's just trying to get it over with. He's trying to say, all right, Eliphaz is right, I've sinned. Okay, God, why don't you just pardon me? Hmm. But everything's still wrong. This is, this is not working for him. His, his apology, his... His agreeing didn't instantly restore all that brokenness. He's just unable to see any reasoning, any logic to what's going on in his life. And he begs God, he just, he just begs God to just pardon me already and get this over with. Just, would you just forgive me? Whatever I've done wrong, would you just forgive me? And then just let me die. What a way to end a conversation. You, I'm sure Job wishes that that was the last word his friends would say, Job, I'm going to pray for you now. I'm going to go home now. <laughs> it would have been the best thing they could ever do for him. But the news is this. Bildad the Shuhite. He's the smallest person in the Bible. <clears throat> Bildad the Shuhite. Um, 
He's going to now, in chapter 8, take his turn at tearing Job down even further, and he'll use philosophical theology instead of biblical theology. And it will hurt Job more. Let me just, for conclusion, what can we learn from Job's view on life? That life stinks without hope. Would you agree with that? Life is not worth living if you have no hope that it's going to turn out all right, <laughs> that it's going to be okay, that God will make up for it that there's a reward for living different than the world and following Jesus Christ when everybody else is following the world. It just stinks without hope. We can learn that bad things happen, and they happen fast. You don't have to go looking for them. Job says, I was minding my own business, yet trouble came. Without good friends, please, ladies and gentlemen, without good friends, all you will want to do is die. What if his three friends had been different? What if his three friends had actually tried to be friends? Do you think Job would have been saying, I wish I would die, I wish I could die? Or would Job have been able to have gone on another day and then another day? Would you listen to me? We're small in number here tonight. But what will make a strong church is where we bless one another and we're the best of friends and we love one another like family and we hold each other together and we don't let anybody fall without us being there pulling them back up, picking them up. It is easier, and this is one other thing we're going to learn, it is always easier to believe wrong things than right things. Have you noticed that? It is easier for people to believe a lie than to believe the truth. And Job here is himself believing lies. Because it is easier to believe I'm a failure. It is easier to believe I'm worth more dead. It is easier to believe, God, you don't care. Which are lies. Amen? So it's always easier to believe wrong things, or else the internet wouldn't be filled with YouTube preachers that are heretics. You know, it wouldn't be filled with them if it's not easier to believe them than to believe the Bible. Let's sing number 49.